I know the lies of Satan, cause I've heard them all. From the, you're not worthy, to the, who do you think you are? You're condemned and unholy and guilty and shameful and you'll never be good enough for God. Does any of that sound familiar? You see, the enemy comes with lies to enchain us in bondage, to keep us far away from God, feeling unworthy to come into his presence or to do anything for him. Oftentimes leaving us absolutely paralyzed for his kingdom because we're believing a lie. But see, if you know the truth, the lie is exposed and it crumbles away. And it's your left being able to actually walk as Yeshua walked. Because see, you'll never be able to walk as he walked like Jesus if you believe a lie about what God thinks of you or of, of God or of his kingdom. So it's so important for us to understand the lies of the enemy. And let me tell you, I've heard them all. In the book of Genesis, we see Satan's first interaction with man. We see the first ever lie. And we see him lie over and over and over again as we travel through the pages of Scripture. And when we look at his lies and we identify them, we can truly uh, see them and hear them come from far away. And when they try and enter our minds and attack us, we can easily say, no, that's not, that's not my father's voice. God says, Yeshua said, my sheep hear my voice. You see, and the stranger's voice, they will not follow. God calls us, Yeshua, He calls us to hear and follow His voice and not the voice of the stranger. So let me teach you what the voice of the stranger sounds like. The first ever lie that Satan came with in the garden in Genesis 3 verse 1. Is the following. He said, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, he came to question God's instruction. He said, Did God really mean? What he said, did he really mean it? I mean, maybe God was just, you know, he was maybe exaggerating a little bit when he said what the consequence of that would be. It's probably not that big of a deal. And this is where it comes down to. Is God's law really that important? Do you really need to follow it? And you see, when we look at today, that is probably still, it was the first ever lie to mankind that caused the fall in the garden. And it's this biggest lie today that has crept into Christianity as well as the secular world. Where we believe that the law of God is totally abolished. Jesus came to do it so we don't have to. Jesus came to throw away the law. Is what many teach and believe in contrast to what he said in Matthew 5:17, where he said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to give it fullness of meaning, fulfill it, not abolish and see. But we have come to believe yet again, that lie of the enemy that he came to push in the garden, that the law is abolished, that God's word is not that important. Did God really mean that you need to keep a seventh day Shabbat, a Sabbath day, like in the Ten Commandments. Did he really mean it? Amongst many other things. And so what God calls us to do 
is to come back to his instructions, to see what his word is. What did he instruct us from the very beginning? And return to it, to walk in obedience. Because we can't afford to make the same mistake Adam and Eve did. We need to step back and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to follow God's word. He wants me to, to be obedient. because, And he actually came to die for me, to show his love for me. And all I could do in return is to try and walk as his son. And his son was obedient to his father's law. Because 1 John 3 verse 4 says, Sin is the transgression of that very law. The second lie that the enemy came with is only three verses after the first. After trying to convince them that the law of God is not that important, he then tried to dilute the consequence of the law. He said, you will not surely die. And you know, today we have it rebranded. And it's that word, that phrase of you only live once. You won't surely die, is what, the, what Satan said. And what he's really saying is, you know, God didn't really mean that the consequence of breaking this law is that you will inherit death. But today in our culture, we have this thing of, oh, you, you only live once. And it, and it sounds all nice. It sounds good. It can actually sound scriptural. But the reality is that you, you don't only live once. If you live for eternal life, the only reason you'll ever live once is if you inherit death. It is a lie. You only live once. To believe you only live once is to believe Satan instead of God. God said, if you believe in me, if you follow me, if you walk as my son, you can inherit eternal life. You will not only live once, but this first life is super important because it determines where you go next. Whether you inherit eternal life, a second life thereafter, or if you actually really only live once and inherit eternal death, separation from God. You see, to, to, to inherit a mindset of that I only live once, YOLO, I could do what I want. It's inheriting a mindset of death. It's inheriting and falling for the lie of the tree, eating of it yet again and saying, you know what? God probably didn't really mean it. I can let me just let me just waste this life. Because see, brother, sister, you need to understand, yes, on one end, you do only live once and, and that you have one shot at this. You have one chance in this life to determine where you will spend your eternity with or without God. The third lie of the enemy that we see in scriptures in Genesis 3 verse 8, where we see that Adam and Eve right after they fell and they sinned, they went to hide. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And really the lie is that you're too far gone. You've sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God. And now God is not going to forgive you. God doesn't love you. God is condemning you forever. And with that comes guilt, shame and condemnation. And with that, we have this natural reaction, just like Adam and Eve, to go and hide in the bushes. After we've fallen into sin and we know we're wrong, we run away in shame and hide from God. But God had a different voice in the garden because what we see thereafter is, is he walks through the garden, crying out their name and asking them why they're hiding. God is questioning why they're hiding. It's not like God didn't know what they did wrong. But he's questioning the lie that they're believing that he has rejected them 
Why would God walk through the garden if he has totally rejected and thrown them away? He didn't. He walked through the garden to to show grace and mercy to his son and daughter. He walked through the garden to come and ask them, why are you hiding? Let's talk about this. Let's, Let's speak about this. Let's sort this thing out. God, full of mercy and grace, wanted to speak with them. But they didn't want any of that. And when God found them, they were so overwhelmed with the guilt and shame that they blame shifted and they didn't take the responsibility because they had too much fear, not an ungodly fear of shame that came from shame and guilt instead of the godly fear of God that can bring deliverance and salvation as we come before him. When we sin and when we do fall short and we will, We must remember that the father walks through the garden calling our name. He walks through the garden asking you, why are you hiding? And don't hide is what he's trying to say. Come out, come to the throne of God with your sins. Repent and turn away from them. And God, who is full of mercy and grace, will hug you and bring you home. By the mercy of Yeshua, he came. God came in the flesh to die for you so that you don't need to hide. He came to die for you so you can repent and turn around, turn away from your sin and walk as he walked. So he can enable you by the empowerment of his spirit to walk as he walked. Not by, not as any, and this is no excuse to sin, of course, but it, it, it takes away the shame and the guilt and the condemnation. And it brings us into his presence by the holiness of Yeshua. The fourth lie that the enemy brings is that the wilderness that you are going through is for nothing. You see, when Israel went through the wilderness after they left Egypt, they complained. They murmured and they said, oh, oh, it's so it would have been so much better if we had just returned to Egypt, if we just stayed there and not have to be in this wilderness, this place where it's so dry and, 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 and it's not fun to be here. And see, they felt that it is for nothing. They felt that this is not going to lead them anywhere or fruitful. They didn't believe God. Rather, they believed the voice of the enemy that said that this is just a waste of your time. You are all going to die in this wilderness. God is not with you. God is not going to take you through this, etc. God comes and calls and he says, I will fight for you. I will bring you through your wilderness season because your wilderness is necessary to refine you into Yeshua. You see, Yeshua did not, was not able to start his ministry until he went into the wilderness. Similarly, Israel was not able to enter their promised land without entering their wilderness. And we will never be able to fulfill the calling, the incredible calling God has placed on our life if we don't enter the wilderness. And see, many people, when they see the clouds, they they murmur and they complain and they ask God, why is it so cloudy above me? But what they don't see is that they need to feel the rain come. The rain is only going to come. That rain, that water, that freedom, that water that is Yeshua will only come after the clouds are there. Instead of running away from the clouds, what we ought to do is follow the cloud by day and and, and camp under his cloud under because that's the best place to be. Even if it doesn't feel like it's fun, even if it feels like a wilderness, even if it doesn't taste as good as the steaks of Egypt. 
It doesn't matter as, because under the cloud is the best place to be because that's where it rains. And so in our distresses, in our wildernesses, we ought not to complain, but rejoice in that the cloud is over us. Rejoice in that God will fight our giants for us and take us through the wilderness. And that this is all for a purpose. And the purpose is greater than anything else. And that is to refine us into the image of Yeshua Christ. The fifth top lie that the enemy brings to us is that you're not valuable to God. You are not valuable. And with that voice, we need to question something big. If the value of something is determined by what you are willing to pay for it, and God paid for your life with his, doesn't that deem you pretty valuable? You see, for the God of the universe, to come and pay for your life with his. It means that there was value on your life. It means that there was something worthy of dying for. It means that there was something that he saw in you that you may not see and that others may not see, but he sees it. And he said when he looked at you and he made you, he said, I want you. I want to use you for great things. I've placed a calling on your life. To work for my kingdom and destroy the kingdom of darkness. I have call, called you to be a deliverer of, for, and, and deliver others from evil. And see, when we believe that instead of the lie that you're worthless, you're not valuable, you can't accomplish anything. It changes everything because if we believe what, how, how, and see ourselves the way that God sees us, we're able to actually walk in the way that he calls us to walk. You see, brothers and sisters, God calls you into a marvelous calling a value. You are valuable and your life, your, the testimony of you watching this video sitting there is a testimony that God has called you into a calling of value. He has made you of a purpose. Now hold, grab a hold of that purpose. Grab a hold of Yeshua because he is the one who gives you purpose. Jesus is the only giver of purpose in your life. There is no other place to find purpose except in him because he's the one that declared you valuable. And see if he bought you with a high price, the price of his own life. It means Paul says that we are now bond servants. We are now like slaves to him. He, he bought us. He owes us. That means that when we are sold out for him, we give our life to him as he gave our lives to us. In that marriage contract, if you will, we now are able to walk and serve alongside him and destroy the works of the devil. Romans 8 verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, he says that you have, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to anything of this world. You are a son. You are mine. I adopted you, is what God said, into this priesthood, into this kingdom. And you are my son. Even though you may have been far off at some point, I adopted you in for a purpose. Does that, do you understand what that means? It means that you are a son. The way that the father loves his son, so God loves you. That means that if you fall short of his glory, if you, if you feel like you're unworthy, he understands. He loves you. 
He knows what you're going through and he calls you to just walk as he walked and come to him and speak to him because he is your father. Cry out to your father. Say, Abba, father. You know, sometimes I found myself on my knees on my face and all I can say is help me. Father, help me. There's nothing else to say. And it may not even be that there's something bad going or wrong or but it's just that thing of God. Help me. You are God. I am a man. But Lord, you have adopted me as a son. God, help me to be worthy of being that. Help me to be a son to you. Help me to walk as a son of God or to walk. And see, when we go into that place and humble ourselves in that way before the Father, in that moment, He changes us and makes us into that image. Lie number six that the enemy comes to whisper into our ear is the lies about what others think of us. You see, when, when someone, maybe they do something or they, and they don't even know what they've done, maybe something is said on accident, And suddenly we get this impression, oh, well, they probably don't like me. They probably hate me. They probably don't want to be my friend. They're probably betraying me. They're probably gossiping behind my back. And so in that, the enemy comes to sow discord amongst brothers and sisters, especially in the assemblies, the fellowships. He comes to sow discord, to to deceive others into thinking that there is an issue when there is not. And this problem can easily be solved by communication, by simply going and speaking openly to each other, letting someone know when they've hurt you, said something even unknowingly that may have hurt you, going in humility and just saying, hey, brother, you know, what you told me here, I just want to make sure what did you really mean? Because it it hurt me a little bit. You know, coming in that way of communication shuts the door that the enemy comes through. When he tries to come and lie, you can see if there's no communication, if that door of communication is shut, then the enemy is going to have a door to go through. He's going to be able to speak. He's going to be able to deceive. But if you've got an open line and you know what your friends and sisters and brothers are saying, then he has no voice. And similarly with our relationship with God, if we have an open line of communication with God, where we are in prayer continuously. We will understand what God thinks of us better. We will know him more. We will have intimacy and deeper relationship with him. And with that, we will understand better what he thinks of us, what he says of us and how he views us. See, if we have this relationship with people and with God, then that deception has no place in our lives. And the incredibly prevalent lie number seven of the enemy is that you're not doing enough for God. You see, what I have found in the duration of my life is that no matter how much you do for God, how active you are in ministry, how active you are or in whatever to try and work for God and do things for him, this lie never stops. This lie of you need to do more. You don't have good fruit. You're invaluable. You need to work, work, work so you can be approved by God. This lie of the enemy is not in God's word where we are. We never have been able to work for our his approval. We've never been able to work for our salvation. We've never been able to work towards 
that and in any way it's always been by grace because see if you are dependent on your works dependent on how how good you love to get you that salvation if that is what you rely on instead of in, in, the, in spite of not relying on Yeshua as your salvation, then there's no salvation. There's no place because your works cannot save you. And your works, well, no matter how much you work, no matter how much ministry you do, it is not the very thing that, that, that makes you approved before God or righteous before God. God deems us righteous through our faith and belief in Him. And all our works, everything we do, it is important, but it all then just flows from that faith. You see, it is not about how much I do to get approved. It is because I am approved that determines how much I do. You see, it is I am approved by God and because I'm approved and he loves me. Therefore, I will go out and by the Spirit's guidance, I will go and work for his kingdom. But see, I will not work for his kingdom the other way around. Work for his kingdom to get approved. I'm approved. Therefore, I work. And see, when we understand this, there's no more of this, 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 this thing of, oh God, I didn't, pr- I didn't pray enough. I didn't d- pray for enough people on the street. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Oh, and therefore, God, uh, you're probably very far from me this week. You see, if, we are de- if, if, if how good we get with God is determining how much God approves and loves us, we're in big trouble. Because we are all imperfect and we are all make mistakes. We all sin. And if we do not absolutely rely on his sacrifice, we are in big trouble. But I'm not saying that works aren't important. I'm not saying that ministry and doing all these things are important. It is incredibly important and it is the evidence of our faith. But what I am saying is don't rely on them because they'll never, they'll always fall short. Because works and how we live is like this up and down. But Yeshua He's solid. He's stable. He doesn't change his mind. And he loves us. And number seven ties in very much with number eight. And that is that I'm not good enough in what I do. And it is this fear that creeps in. And that we are so afraid that what we do is not good enough to please God. That we actually sit back and rather do nothing. You see, brothers and sisters, it is more valuable to do something, albeit not doing it well, than to do nothing. And in, our, in that idea of I'm not good enough, I can't do enough, I've got too much fear. That is all rooted in an unbelief in God and that he is the one who carries you and is able to do it in you. Because see, you're, you've never been the one that's enabled yourself to breathe. You've never been the one that's done anything. It's everything that you've been doing has been by his grace and his strength and empowerment, not by yourself. And so what I found is that many times, you know, there's something that God calls me to do and I'm absolutely unqualified. I don't have the skills. I don't have anything. I'm not, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not, I'm not good at it. Whatever it is he calls me to do. I'm not good at talking to people. I'm afraid of people. I'm shy. Whatever it is. 
He calls you to do it anyway, because when you are weak, he is strong. When you feel unqualified, he qualifies. Moses was unable to do what God called him to do, and he chickened out. And in that moment, he lost a big part of his calling when he pushed Aaron into the front and said, Aaron, you need to speak instead. Don't push Aaron in front of you. Go and step up to what God has called you to do, because he will never call you to do anything that he does not absolutely over the top empower you to do. You see, when when you feel unqualified, oh, that's so much better because now he can really shine. When you're unqualified and you feel like you can't do it, that's when he gets all the glory and you don't get to take any of it for yourself. And that's why God does it that way. That's he's always been doing it that way and he will continue to do it that way. And he wants to do it in you. But you need to believe in his promise. You need to believe that he will fight. He will carry. He will give you strength. He will give you supernatural abilities where you have none to empower you to do what he has called you to do. So that big calling that he's put on you, that big idea that he's put on you, that big thing that you know that you should do. Stop procrastinating. Go out and do it in belief and he will provide every step of the way. Go and run in patience and in steadfastness. The ninth lie of the enemy is very prevalent and we see it even in Yeshua himself when Yeshua was going through the wilderness and the enemy came to lie to him. And he said, bow down before me and I'll give you everything. I'll give you this world. And Yeshua said, no, 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 no. That's not the way it goes. Because see the lie of the enemy as the world will be our source of happiness. The world will be the things, the things in the world, whether it's even can be good things like a wife, a child, a family, a good job and all of these things. If we believe that is our primary source of happiness, that is what is going to to fill us up. We're completely, completely deceived. There is no way that you will be filled up and made happy when you get a wife. If you think, oh, let me just, if I just get this wife, if I just get this job, if I just get this child, if I just get this family, if I just get whatever, then I'll be happy. You are deceived beyond measure because there's no way to be happy by those things. Those things are not there to make you happy. Those things come from happiness in God. You see, those things are coming and given to you after you seek the kingdom of God. And what I mean is God is the one that brings happiness and fulfillment. He is the one that brings it. If you cannot be happy without everything, without a house, a wife, a family, everything absolutely stripped from you. If you cannot be happy like that, you will never be satisfied with everything of this world. You will never be happy. Because God is the provider of happiness. He is the one that fills you up where you can in Brussels, I can testify that you can be alone. There can be nothing and no one around you. But God is the one that makes you fulfilled and happy. And see, this is amazing because then he says, oh, now, now that you have sought my kingdom, now that you have come and walked after me, went and saw everything, given everything away like that rich man. When to let the dead bury the dead, like he told the man who wanted to bury his father before following him, as Jesus said, you know, after that, then after we come to that place, that place of sacrifice, the place of all I need, God, is you. After we come to that place, 
That's when he said, well, that's amazing. You've stored my kingdom. And now, now you're ready. And the rest will be added unto you. Now I'll provide for you a wife. I'll provide for you everything that you need. But those things aren't the things that are going to make you happy. God is the thing that makes you happy. God in relationship with him is the only fulfillment that you ever receive. You see, you were made, you were made for intimacy with him. You were made from top to bottom to have a relationship with God and your spirit will yearn for that relationship until the day you die. And if that relationship with God is not absolutely fulfilled, you can get as much stuff as you want. You can gather as much things of this world as you want. Nice car, nice house, nice everything. But if you don't have God, your heart has nothing. The tenth lie of the enemy, last but not least, is that, well, you're not a preacher. You're not. Who are you? You're not a pastor. You don't need to go and, and do the things that God calls a pastor to do. You don't need to baptize anyone. You need to pray for the sick. You don't need to do any of those things. Those are things that the pastor in the church needs to do. You see, the enemy is completely fine. Satan is 100% fine with a man who goes to church, goes home, goes to church and goes home. And this endless cycle. There's no problem because that man poses no danger to his own kingdom. The man poses no danger to Satan's kingdom if he is simply going to church to get fed himself. Yet never lifts a finger for the kingdom of God. You see, that man... Is like a candle that leaves a candle shop, but never gets lit. You see, the church or a fellowship or an assembly, it means absolutely nothing if you don't walk out of there on fire for God. If you don't walk out of there going and walking as Yeshua walked, because there's no point in going and sitting in a pretty church service, doing religious things and making ourselves feel good about ourselves. If there is no application of the very word of God, if there is no walking as Yeshua's disciples. You see, if your pastor tells you, oh, let me baptize you, you can't baptize. Get out of that church because that pastor is deceived beyond measure. We are all called to be disciples of Christ. And if you don't walk as he walked, then you have no part of him. He said that whoever says he abides in me, but wasn't, does not do the things that I do is a liar. And the truth is not in him. The truth is not in him. You cannot say, I love God, but not do the things he did or do the things he told you to do. He said, go out into the world, proclaim the gospel to every creature, baptizing him in, in, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he came and he sent a spirit for you to enable you to do these things. He did not send a spirit for you to sit in a church every Sunday and live like Monday. He did not come to simply make you comfortable. He did not come to give you a life of prosperity. And that's all there is to it. He came to die so you can see how to. He came to get on a cross so you can get on a cross like a thief right next to him. You see, because that's what baptism is. When we go and we get baptized, it's like a thief on the cross. We repent, we turn from our sins and we die with Christ and we're raised with him. Like Jesus died on that cross and raised from the grave. We die with him and we're raised with him unto new life. Abel, filled with the spirit to do the works that he has prepared us for. And so to think that we can just 
just be a lukewarm Christian, be passive and that's okay. Just be a Christian because my dad and mom was and be a Christian because of this or that, but not be a Christian because God is my life. Then you have no part and you're not a disciple. And you say, Peter, that's a little harsh. I say, no, that's exactly what Yeshua taught everyone who tried to follow him. He said, whoa, 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 you're trying to follow me. Wait, whoa, 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 wait a second. Go sell everything you have and follow me. Why do you want to follow me? Go and are you sure? Because I sleep on the street. You know that, right? I don't have even a place to rest my head. Are you sure you want to follow me there? Go deny your mother, brother, sister, everyone else. Hate them for my name's sake and come and follow me. Will you do that for me? That's what Yeshua said. And those who are, whose hearts are not in that place, who would go and do all that for him, those will be like the rich man who was turned away by Jesus himself. When Yeshua came to the rich man and the rich man said, I'm not sure, Yeshua walked away and that rich man had no part in him. So where do you get your identity and where, what is your life about? Are you like a candle who comes out of a candle shop and never gets lit? Or are you lit to burn for him? forever a living sacrifice unto him forever i'll leave you with that may god bless you and keep you subscribe to this youtube channel if this video blessed you and like this video share it with your friends so we can get free from these lies of the enemy because these if we understand these things the, the lies of the enemy can come but they'll never be able to penetrate our minds because we know the truth i'll see you guys in the next video